My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I will tell you how camp went, but let's, let's take a survey here. When you were talking to somebody who told you their name, raise your hand. Hi, I am. Okay. Did they tell you about their family? Anybody? Siblings. Good. Did anybody tell you what they do for a living? There you go. Does anybody tell you what school they went to? No. See, when you do this, teenagers, that's what they all talk about. Did anybody tell you how long they've been at this church? No? Did I miss something? What did people tell you that was interesting? Nobody told you anything that was interesting. Yeah, go ahead, Kim. Yes, he and I are both LPCs in the state of New Jersey. Go ahead. Well, I told the person that I live in five different places. And the person told me that they lived in Pinsgrove all their life. Until she married that pastor. Yeah, well, yeah. Pinsgrove. <laughs> Pinsgrove. Okay, now, here's the tough part. Raise your hand if somebody said to you, I am a Christian. That's exactly what happened at camp. So then I asked them this question. Raise your hand if somewhere in your life you have given your heart to Jesus or asked Jesus into your heart. Raise your hand. And yet we were reticent to tell people at church or the kids were reticent to tell people at camp. Now, if you work in the business world and a Jewish person is applying for a job, they will tell you right up front, I'm Jewish. Why? Because there's certain things you need to know. They're going to get Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur off. They're going to need Passover time. There's certain foods they don't eat. There's certain clothes they're not allowed to wear. It defines who they are. I've met people that start off with, hi, I'm Jewish. If you meet a Muslim person, same idea. We know that five times a day they're going to have to do what? Find out which way is east. Pray towards Mecca. I was working at the Eshelon Mall Ministry one day, and these two young men came running in. Pastor, they said, we need your office to pray. Okay. I let them in the office, and they came running out. They said, which way is east? So we, we pondered it, and we figured out to our best guess which way was east. They they, they had missed their time of prayer, and they ran into my office to pray. Why are we unwilling to tell people that we're Christian? Because I have to tell you that for 2,000 years, we've not done a very good job. We've killed unbelievers. We've invaded their countries. Uh, Joyce Meyer says it best. We try to clean the fish before we catch them, Right? The church is against drinking. Guess what? Alcoholics need Jesus. The church is against drugs. Drug addicts need Jesus. The church is against homosexuality. Guess what? Homosexuals need Jesus. And we're so clear on what we don't like, we bar the door to our churches. Got very quiet at camp when I said that. And then I said, take out your notebooks. Now, I need you to know that I went to the local Staples and I bought all of their 25 cent notebooks. They're selling one subject notebooks for a quarter. Now, you're not allowed to buy more than 30 a day. I had to make several trips. 
because there were 70 people at camp. But they all had a notebook, and CE provided CE pens. And I, I said, I've been praying for revival for from the youth. And their eyes all went big as saucers. And, and you could hear them think, why, why is he praying for revival from us? And I told him, I said, you are more loving and less fearful than we are. Now, you may raise your hand, you may not raise your hand, but I know the answer. I said to the teenagers, raise your hand if you have a mortgage. Raise your hand if you have a monthly car payment over $300. Raise your hand if you have 30, 40, 50, $200,000 in student debt. Those are all things that scare the heck out of us. And they have none of that. They are lean, mean fighting machines. And then we read the scripture we read today, the feeding of the 5,000. Oh, so I had them set up their notebook. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but I keep all my sermons in a one-subject notebook. Color doesn't matter. I, I pull it whenever it's next in the box. In Vicky's in my closet, I actually have a box of 50. And when that's done, I'll go on Amazon and I'll get a new box. And I, I have these. That's prayer list goes in the back. Now, this is a blank one I set up for the kids. Got the date, the requester, the request. And I told him, leave the most room for the request. One kid put the requester like this. I said, what are you, talking to somebody with 27 letters in their name? You know, Bob doesn't take up that much room. Praying for Bob's mother does. And then I said, put the date that it's answered. We as the church, and I just don't mean kings, I mean the church, we pray unexpectedly. That's horrible. We shoot them up to heaven. We might check in, but the majority of things we pray for, we never check off the list when God does miracles. So I want you to picture this. I've got 70 teenagers, all with a notebook and a pen, and they're going to take notes of my sermon. Now, I could see them in their mind going, oh, why do I have to take notes during the sermon? I said, look, guys. Your pastor spends anywhere upwards of 15 hours a week preparing a sermon. It is not for your entertainment value. It is for your spiritual growth. I said, you, and I'm talking to teens, but it might apply to the adults too. I said, you need to take responsibility for your own spiritual education. And that's what we're going to talk about us for the next few weeks. Now, I, I have a gold star to give out. Linda always has her notebook, and so does Dee. Linda writes down stuff all the time. She never has to say, what did Doc preach about last week? If I gave an open book test on sermons, Linda would pass. How would you do if I asked you to go back six weeks? It'd be rough. Now, I've got all these kids with their notebooks out. And one of the kids goes, so what you're talking about here is a notebook revival. I said, yes. If we could get the entire church to start recording their prayers and the answers to prayer and studying the scripture and taking notes when somebody prepares scripture for them so that they are becoming scholars so that one day they'll become teachers and preachers. Revival happens there. So. There's three things in this sermon that I need you to think about. The first one is you have to come hungry. 
When you apply for a job at a college, they always ask you in a deep and thoughtful tone, what is your philosophy of education? And this is my philosophy of education, and it applies here, and it applies there. I believe that as the expert in the field, I'm the one with the MDiv, or at college, I'm the one with the PhD, it is my job to cook a delicious meal. It is your job to eat a delicious meal. So, Jesus makes tuna fish sandwiches for 5,000 men, women, and children. Now, there's an outreach. Because scholars will tell you that for every man, there was probably one wife and maybe two kids. We're talking 15, to, Jesus made 15,000 tuna fish sandwiches. He had the people in one of the stories sit down in groups of 50. And the disciples began to deliver the tuna fish sandwiches. Now, we all know that it wasn't really tuna fish. It was probably St. Peter's fish. You've had one, right? <laughs> There's one lady in our tour group when we went to uh, the Sea of Galilee. They cooked the fish whole, and it's looking at you with the one eye. <laughs> That's the fish. She's like, I can't eat it. It's looking at me. So the waiter came over and put a towel over the fish. She couldn't do it. They have fried chicken for you if you can't eat the St. Peter's fish. So Jesus made tuna fish for 15,000 people. They handed it all out, and there were leftovers. Now, how do we know the people were hungry? We know they were hungry in two ways. Jesus got in a boat, the story tells us, and went to a desolate place. Doc and Vicky are going to get into a, a Nissan Ultimate today, and guess where we're going to a desolate place. Why? Because ministry is exhausting. I learned the name of every youth and every adult at the camp. Vicky's been to camp with me. People are like, how do you do that? I say, you have to pretend you care. That was half of a joke. You have to care. Not only did I meet each kid, I got to talk to each kid. I found out that this one's on the rifle team and this one's running. One of the girls was in the Nationals yesterday at the Velodrome over in Pennsylvania. She's so humble, she didn't even want to tell me. Her friends told me. Like, he's got a bicycling shirt on. He wants to know. And she's like, well, yeah, I'm in the Nationals. So that when I get up to speak to them, there's already a relationship being given. So Jesus is tired. He gets in the boat, he goes to a desolate place to recover. The people are so spiritually hungry, they run around the edge of the Sea of Galilee to where he's going to get off. They had an unofficial Jesus 5K run. <laughs> Has anybody run 5K? Does anybody want to run 5K? They, they were so hungry for the gospel, they ran around the edge of the lake to meet him. Jesus gets out of the boat and... I want you to know this is a pastor's prerogative. He went like this. <sighs> he wanted a place to relax, but if people need to hear the gospel, what do you got to do? Preach the gospel. So Jesus gives a sermon. He's teaching. And I don't know if you know this, but in the olden days, the teacher sat and the students stood. So these people who had just run an informal 5K run to meet Jesus, stood for five, six, seven hours listening to the good news. And then the disciples said, 
Jesus sent them all home. They got to be tired. They got to be hungry. And Jesus said, you feed them. Now, there's a, a double message going on here. He wanted them to learn to feed them spiritually. And he wanted to know that the same God that had David sing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is the same God that would care for all of these people. And Jesus demonstrated that we need to feed the physical as well as the spiritual. You with me? So the people sit down. You got to come hungry. That's number one. The second thing it says, and I love this, is they all ate their fill. Now, I don't know. I don't know about when you were a kid, but when we used to go to the church covered dish, we had a talk in the car before we went in. And the talk in the car was, don't take all the good stuff. Leave something for the person behind you. Because we all know that if you go to a church cover dish, there's some dishes you look forward to every time. I think I told you my dad's fried chicken is so good that the colonel let them let him use their buckets for the chicken. He had all the kids in the church convinced of that. Did Mr. Madison bring his chicken? Yes, he did. They would run for the chicken. But they all had their fill. God said, there is enough here for everyone and... There were leftovers. So point number one, come hungry. hungry. Point number two, eat your fill. Soak up as much scripture. Soak up as much knowledge. Soak up as much of a vision for our ministry here at Kings. And then what do you do with the leftovers if you eat out? Don't you dare say take a moment, feed them to the dog. These are good leftovers. These are Jesus-made tuna fish sandwiches. Heavenly stamp of approval. What do you do with the leftovers? Yes, thank you. Take it home and share it with someone else. Now, I want you to know that 70 teenagers have written this down in their book. And then I reminded them of two things. One is, half of the world is illiterate. They do not have the ability to take notes at a sermon. We have the ability to take notes at a sermon, and we don't use it. What a gift we have to be able to record this and take the leftovers home and share it with somebody else. We talk about reruns of The Office. We talk about the Friends reunion. We talk about the newest series on Netflix, and ain't nobody sharing what happened in church on Sunday morning. That's a little scary. We're back to where we started. I wear my Philly shirts. People come up and go, Wow, they're not really doing well this year. I wear my Harley shirt. People come up and say, do you ride? Rarely do people come up and say, so, how was the sermon? That's not true. I'm the preacher and people know me. Vicki, do many people come up and ask you how the sermon was other than me? Not really. We need to take the leftovers and share it. Now, the other thing we did, and we're going to have a sermon on prayer in a couple weeks, is I preached this sermon totally on coming hungry and taking the leftovers home. And if you go on my Facebook page, they did videos of the week. And if you look at the first week's video, I want you to hear this. Every kid talks about prayer. They're like, Doc really preached on prayer last night. And I'm watching the video and I'm thinking... Doc didn't preach on prayer last night. All Doc did was show you how to set up your journal 
so you can have an active prayer life. Every single kid that they talked to said, that was really a powerful message on prayer. We're going to have a powerful message on prayer, I believe, either next week or the following. So what happened at camp? The ministry with whom we worked is called Don Ministries, and they decided to take over, literally take over an entire street called Park Avenue in Newcastle. And they started at this end, and they went to this end, and they put flyers on that said a group of Christian teens are coming. If you need us to look at your house or fix something in your house, we'll do the best we can. And I'd say about 11, 12 people on this one long block said yes. I'll never get down at this hand, Hopeland, this end, Hopeland Methodist. That's the church that had me go to their church last year. They had work camp at their church. The people that owned the house had enclosed their porch, but not done a good job in the roof. And the roof had opened and poured water in the porch. They took all the siding off the front of the house. They took the enclosure off. They, they saved all the siding put it back on the house, painted it, and you know how, I, and this really bothers me, but on HGTV they say we'll put in a beam, and then they put nice wood around the beam. It's not, that annoys me. I want it to be a real beam, but they, they cut the wood, the teenagers cut the wood, stained the wood, polyethylene kind of plastic stuff on the wood. That's why I'm the speaker. I don't do any of this stuff. This house looks brand new. And they, they did this house. Then over here, they did the fence and uh, fixed the shutters. And this house, they did masonry. This house was uh, three stories tall. They had to get a lift. And one of the leaders was moving the kids up and down in the lift. You saw the pictures. They're like 50 feet in the air painting the top of this house. One lady loved to garden. She had a medical condition and she couldn't garden anymore. Did you see that one? Oh, the front yard was weeds three feet deep. Those kids went in, weeded the entire garden, saved all the plants, on their own went out and got mulch. It looks like a garden you could put in better homes and gardens. And every lunchtime, every group sat down and did their devotions, and they invite the homeowners to pray with them. And they share the gospel. It's exciting stuff. So... On Thursday night, we have decision night. Christian Endeavor always asks them to look at three decisions. And I won't go over it because you've heard it from me many times, but we talked about three-line faith. Just nod, because you've heard that from me before. Line one, I believe in Jesus as long as it benefits me. Line two, I believe as long as it doesn't interfere with my life. And line three is 24-7. Remember, back at the beginning of the week, almost every kid said, in my life, I have made a decision for Christ. I knew that that was not the emphasis for the week. We still gave anybody in the room who hadn't the opportunity, but no kids made a first-time decision for Christ. 28 children went forward and said, I'm on the second line, and I need to move to the third. I want to live for Jesus 24-7. And two of the leaders went forward and said, I've been convicted and I need to live 24-7 for Jesus. We also ask if anybody's feeling called into full-time Christian ministry. I paint an ugly picture of full-time Christian ministry. (laughs) You're never going to make enough money. 
<laughs> You're going to live in strange places and eat weird food. I mean, I let them know. If Jesus calls you, Chuck Swindoll says, he's going to grab you by the scruff of the neck, throw you into ministry, and lock the door so you can't get out. Can I get an amen? Uh, not from you. Amen. There we go. Two kids feel called to the mission field. One girl wants to work with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, in uh, Australia. She's, she's going to start the paperwork. And her youth leader came back in tears because she had been praying for this girl to go into the mission field. And the other girl said she felt called to be a missionary nurse. She's, gonna, she's just starting college, and she really feels that she needs to go with the ministries, uh, what is it, Doctors Without Borders and the ones that do the cleft palate. And she was, if you've ever been called to the ministry, and I know that some of us have, it is a joyful and fearful moment. They were laughing and crying at the same time. We prayed, we hugged. So you sent your pastor and the Holy Spirit did the work. And 32 people's lives were changed. Why? Because they came hungry and they ate their fill. And then it's my hope that they went home and shared the leftovers. So I encourage the kids every week, and you are now encouraged to go to Staples and get your 25-cent notebook. I said, guys, freak out your pastor. Tomorrow morning, this morning, when 11 o'clock comes around and the pastor gets up to preach, I want you to all whip out your notebook for the notebook revival and take notes. And if you don't understand, when you're in that line to go out of the church, say, Pastor, I didn't understand this part. Make him be your teacher. The more you interact with the teacher, the more the teacher wants to teach. So one of the guys came up, and I'll finish with this. He said, Doc? I said, yeah. He said, I'm not talking to you. I said, why not? He said, well, you know, I'm the youth pastor at my church. He says, I said, yeah. He says, I'm preaching tomorrow. <laughs> and the kids are like, yes. But wouldn't it be amazing if we began to take responsibility for our own spiritual education? And I'm not saying that every week I have something wonderful and amazing to say. I try. But I study the word and I seek God's heart. And we need to take the leftovers home and share it with anybody we can. And let's begin a notebook revival. Amen.